There had been a moment before this where I arrived at church with someone and they were involved in the service, so they went in early. And mm -hmm. I said to them, I can't come in yet. Mm -hmm. And they said, that's okay. And I said, I actually don't know if I can come in at all. And I sat in the car and I remember thinking, if I'm never able to walk into church again, I think God's still going to love me. Welcome to Approach, holding faith and holding space. Hey, and welcome to another episode of the Approach Podcast. I'm your host, Mandy, and my friend Beth is joining me for this episode. Hey, Beth. Hello, hello. How are you? I'm cozy. Yeah, <laughs> we worked very hard to make sure she was cozy because she gets cold. Cold feet, not in that she didn't want to be on the podcast, <laughs> True. but quite literally <laughs> cold toes. Yes. Um, Beth and I kind of knew each other a long time ago or knew of each other. We recognized each other's names. I think we ran in like parallel circles yeah. that overlapped but never directly crossed. Yeah. 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 So when the idea of doing this podcast came up, I was asking some people, some friends of mine um, for... Yeah, friends that they had that they thought would make good guests for for this podcast. And one name that came up pretty quickly was Beth. Uh, and I was intrigued because I knew the name. Uh, and so I sent you a cold message on <laughs> Facebook. Hey, want to get coffee and chat about this? And we've been best friends ever since. <laughs> it's pretty close. <laughs> True. <laughs> pretty close. Not quite there. I haven't seen you since, but in yeah. my heart. <laughs> That's right. And that's what really matters is just what happens in the heart. <laughs> um, yeah, we had a great time chatting and mm -hmm. hearing. Yeah, you shared a lot about what's happened over the last, I don't know, is it 15 years? In yeah, I'm not sure when, how far back I went when we were talking last time, but. Pretty far, but. I, I actually just realized yesterday that it's been almost exactly 10 years, I would say, since. I really started some major faith shifts. Hmm. Um, Facebook reminded me. I, I I was looking through my old profile pictures. I don't know why. Why do I even go on Facebook? <laughs> why does anybody? <laughs> I was looking at some old profile pictures, and one jumped out at me that was, yeah, from a decade ago, end of November 2009. And I, actually, the first thought was like, wow, I haven't changed at all. I look exactly the same. Um, but Way that- go aging. I know. <laughs> I'm killing it. Um, I do have more wrinkles. Uh, P.S. Also gray hairs. Didn't know that was a thing that happened so early in my life. Um, it happens. It does. Yeah, I've got a few too. Yeah. yeah. Moment, of silence. Moment of silence for the appearance of gray hairs. Uh, anyway, so this picture, I was like, oh my gosh, I look exactly the same. Uh, and then I realized it was a picture I had taken on a kind of, I want to say like a personal retreat that I took in the fall of, in November of 2009, yeah. where I had a moment with God that uh, started a shift that I feel like 10 years later, like, oh, I think... I think I'm finally getting some answers to the question mm. that I was asking then, yeah. which I was like, oh my gosh, I did not think it was going to be like a decade yeah. at the time. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so it's been, for me, I would say there's like this decade. Yeah. 
And here we are. Here we are. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about what you're up to now? Mm-hmm. Um, you and your kind of your educational background, I guess. You have sure. your master's. Yeah. So I'm currently a PhD student. Yeah. I am getting a PhD in practical theology, um, as opposed to impractical theology. (laughs) No, practical theology, which does actually matter, but maybe we'll get more into that in a bit. Um, Doing my PhD, I am in my third year of my PhD. Typically, PhDs are at least four years. I'd like to get mine done in four years. We'll see. Um, third year of my PhD at Emmanuel College, which is connected to the Toronto School of Theology at the University of Toronto. And I have a master's, my master's of divinity, not divination. <laughs> I, I play ultimate frisbee. And when I was starting my master's, um, one of my ultimate frisbee team members, not any church background at all, was like, can you remind me what you're doing? I keep thinking you're getting a master's of divination. Like, <laughs> like Harry Potter. She's like, but I know that's not right. I was like, well, it's basically the same thing. I'm getting magical powers. Uh, No, I have a master's of divinity from Wycliffe College at Toronto School of Theology. And I have a bachelor of arts in English literature from the University of Guelph. So that's my educational background. Um, Yeah. So I'm a PhD student is my primary thing right now. I also work part-time on a research project around satisfaction and stress for people who work in Christian ministry. Very interesting Mm -hmm. uh, thing that I get to be a part of there. And that's kind of my main occupational stuff that I do right now. Can you tell us more about the practical theology and like what that means? (laughs) Yeah. Or more, just more about your PhD? Yeah. So practical theology. Um, I I would say that I'm really interested in the question of so what? What does this mean in people's lives? Mm. Um, And practical theology as a descriptor is like in contrast with some of the other, I want to say categories of theology. Typically, some of them would be biblical theology, which is like specifically looking at Old Testament or New Testament texts. Systematic theology, which is like very theoretical and kind of more philosophical. history, historicity, history and looking at like faith, religion, spirituality in a particular historical context. Mm -hmm. Um, And then practical theology, I would say it's often like the intersection between theology and social sciences Mm -hmm. and some of the arts as well. Um, But for me, I'm specifically interested in looking at the integration of spirituality and spiritual formation with insights from psychology and psychotherapy. So psychology and psychotherapy are interested in whole person thriving. And I think a really important part of most people's spiritual endeavors is about the same thing, whole person thriving, healing, being well. And so how do we um, bring the two together? Um, Because I think sometimes they operate at odds with each other, or sometimes those of us who are in religious spaces are more institutional faith structures haven't always drawn on the insights that we can gain from the social sciences. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a lot to be offered that can really support each other and and that they can be partners in really important ways. Mm -hmm. So that's what I'm interested in doing. Yeah. And I remember when you told me that on our first coffee date. (laughs) (laughs) Heart shaped shaped hands. I was really interested and intrigued right away. And I think part of it is with my new struggles with mental health and figuring Mm -hmm. out 
how that ties in with faith and mm-hmm. how, yeah, the two have been at odds for me uh, at points over the last year and a bit. Um, yeah. So to, to hear you actually say, no, I want to bring, I want to be a part of bringing them together and seeing how they need to be together was mm-hmm. a bit of an aha moment for me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Just acknowledging that it uh, it's going to be messier, but it's necessary yeah. to address it together because they impact each other. Absolutely. And for me, I would say I've thought about this, like, why am I still a Christian or what, how, how have I navigated this last, all of this? And I would say that there are two main reasons I'm still a Christian and one of them is therapy. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and therapy has been so important in opening space for me to reconfigure faith and to recognize how much of what I understood as the only way to think or the only option or the right truth um, was actually very narrow and um, that there are leaving you stuck yeah Yeah. and that there are other options Mm -hmm. Um, actually when I started my master's a big part of the reason I was went in to do the degree was because of the question I was asking was is there space for me in the Christian faith Mm -hmm. and and how do I find that? And and what does that mean? Because it needs to be something that for me is grounded and consistent. The other is my spiritual director. Spiritual direction is a thing that I was unfamiliar with until, oof, probably, actually probably around the same time I started hearing of a couple of friends who were checking out this thing called spiritual direction, had a spiritual director, um, which is a phrase that's far too authoritative for me to be interested in. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then in 2012, I was reading a book, still Notes on a Mid-Faith Crisis by Lauren Winner. Highly recommend it. That was a book I needed to read at that time. And she talks about meeting with her spiritual director. And I, at that point, I had a few friends who met with spiritual directors. And then I also had just gone through a breakup And one of my friends asked me, like, what do you think God's trying to teach you? And I was like, first of all, it's a terrible question (laughs) to ask me right now. And secondly, I was like, I have no idea what God's trying to say to me. And if God's trying to say something to me, like, I don't even know how to hear God anymore. Or if I want to. (laughs) Yeah. Like, is God just going to be like, you need to learn this lesson. So sit down and buckle up and, you know finger wagging, whatever. (laughs) And I was just like, but what struck me was that I used to know how I heard from God. And then I was at this place where I was like, I literally have no idea, no idea. Uh, And so I Googled spiritual directors (laughs) in the name of the city I was living in at the time. Oh, wow. (laughs) And long story short, found this woman um, that I emailed and said, I'm interested in spiritual direction. Are you taking on new clients? She Is called this like a paid job? Spiritual or? direction? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. It's a whole other thing. Well, yes. I mean, yes. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah. That's you get trained. You can, there's certificate programs. Oh, okay. Um, there's actually one just north of Guelph through the Jesuits. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and then there's a few others, which maybe we'll get on the side trail there. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> um, so I found this woman, Googled her, sent her an email. She said, let's have a phone call. She called me. We had a little chat. She's like, why are you looking for spiritual direction? What's got you interested? 
just to be clear, spiritual direction is not therapy. And I was like, I don't want therapy. <laughs> I was like, I want to know how to hear God's voice again. Hmm. And if God tells me to go for therapy, then I'll go for therapy. But that's not what I want right now. Mm-hmm. I, and she was like, great, because <laughs> that's not what we do in yeah. terms of therapy. Yeah. Um, and so I started meeting with her and I've been meeting with her for the past seven years. So you would have had, a, and we'll get into that too, have had a background in like Church. Campus ministry and yes. church, mentorship, discipleship, yeah. that yeah. kind of language. Yeah. What would you, how would you describe the difference? My spiritual director is not, she does not have a plan for my life. And she does not have a vested interest in me heading in any particular direction. And she's not telling me, here's what I see in your life that you need to change. Okay. She holds space for me and supports me in encountering God. And she asks questions of me that help me explore where God is in my life. And she brings she brings scripture in a way that invites me to respond intuitively and emotionally and connect it to my life in ways that I choose rather than in telling me this is what it means. Mm-hmm. So there, for me, there's like a lot of, there's a lot of freedom in that space. Yeah. Um, But she's there as someone who, I mean, at this point, she knows me better than most people. Yeah. And so she can speak to what she hears in what I share and what she sees in me over the time that we've been meeting. So I think that's a a big difference. And honestly, she's never, I don't think she's even met anyone else in my life. (laughs) And not not to say that, I I, I think it's, it's... it's not therapy, but the similarity, one similarity that I appreciate to therapy is that she is there for me and it's a space where I don't have to worry about um, overlap or connections yeah. or... Um, you can just do what you yeah, need to do, yeah. say what you need to say, think, process. Yeah, and and it's and, and she holds that space for yeah. me. And I know that she prays for me outside of the time we meet, which always like overwhelms me a little bit. Hmm. Um, Why is that? Because I'm terrible at praying for people. Mm, <laughs> me too. And um, and because there are a couple of people in my life. One is someone who is more of a mentor. Um, and then I like more of a like a occupational vocational mentor. And then my spiritual director are both people that I know pray for me at least on a monthly basis. Hmm. And it makes me nervous I think just because that level of care is something that's so rare. Yeah. The only other person I know in my life who prayed for me on a regular basis was my grandfather, Mm. um, who always prayed for his family every morning. And that to me was such an intimate expression of his love for me. And so maybe it's that that makes me nervous to feel that I'm that valued by someone. Yeah, like she's that invested or cares so much that... yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's with a spiritual director, I mean, it's part of her work. Yeah. But there's still a commitment to caring for me. Yeah. That is a bit overwhelming. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Yeah. So you stumbled into this kind of after feeling unsure of whether Christianity fit anymore, not hearing God's voice anymore, wanting to. Can you... Yeah. Can you share with us a little bit about how, was there a turning point? Was there an event? Towards or away from Christianity? <laughs> uh, I guess that, that point of questioning. Yeah. How did that happen? 
Or can you give us a bit of context around that? Mm-hmm. So going back to this retreat weekend I had yeah. a decade ago, I was trying to decide at that point in time whether to leave the campus ministry I was working with or to stay with them mm-hmm. and whether to move back. I was on the other side of the country from where my family is. So whether to move back closer to my family or stay where I was. And two separate but interrelated decisions. And that weekend, what I came away with was realizing that I had a really good handle on what it meant to be a good Christian, what it looked like to be a Christian, in hindsight, in somewhat narrow ways. But I left with the question of like, what does it mean to be me? And at that point, I was had really struggled in the campus ministry because I felt like I wasn't a good fit. And I had always been a good Christian. I'd always been good at being a good Christian. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so... To come to this point where I was like, I can't do this. And I'm struggling with like what it is supposed to look like to be a good Christian. Um, and how much of that is my fault and how much is like I need to just adjust who I am. Mm-hmm. But then so then that was like the question of like, what does it mean to be me? Not just to be a Christian, not just to be a good Christian, but to be Beth. And yeah, that was like a very real question for me at the time. And I felt freedom that weekend to know that I needed to leave the ministry role I was in in order to ask that question without trying to fit myself into a particular box, mm-hmm. which I wasn't able to identify that at the time. But in hindsight, I would say that's what I was struggling with was I felt like I was supposed to fit in this particular box and I couldn't make myself stay in that box. And I had to choose to leave it in order to find out what shape I was even supposed to be in. You know, mm-hmm. when you've had something that's been like folded up and packaged for a long time and you take it out and it doesn't really unfold right away, yeah. right? It like yeah. takes time to take on its shape. Yeah. And I needed to get out of that box to see like what shape I was even going to take. Hmm. So that's where I would say it was the turning point for me of feeling this freedom to say like, who am I specifically mm-hmm. as a person, as an individual who's different from other people? Was that a new... A very new thought for you? How did that, asking that question, yeah. and maybe you don't remember, and yeah. it was 10 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, I definitely had internalized a sense of part of my faith meant reigning in parts of the self. Mm-hmm. That the self isn't to be trusted because the self is sinful and deceitful and wicked and fallen. And so there's this self-control is very highly valued. Mm-hmm. And needing to conform mm-hmm. to the image of Christ, if I can use that language. Yep. <laughs> and and so the question for me was like, what if there are parts of myself that I've been trying to conform and control that Weren't actually don't to have to be conformed yeah. and controlled? And what if these parts of me that I've internalized as bad or rebellious, rebellious is a big word of how I viewed myself for a long time. Okay. Um, what if that's not actually true? And what if there's a different way to see these things? And what if some of these things are actually good mm-hmm. and I can live into them instead of trying to push them away? Mm-hmm. And I think part of it was I got to the point where I couldn't push them away. And I saw that it was, I was in a space. I'd gone for my first experience with therapy was a year before this. And at that point I went to a therapist and I basically said, I wake up in the morning and the first thing I do is count how many hours before I get to come home and go back to bed. And I have a feeling that's not healthy. Mm. 
And if this is what being an adult is, like, I, I don't want to do this. Yeah. And so it was really scary to me that I was 23 and I was like, what do I, what do I do with this? Feeling like you don't fit in your own life. Yeah. And I didn't want to live my life yeah. that what I wanted most of my life was to escape by going back to sleep, you know, mm-hmm. and that's a scary place mm-hmm. to be in and to ask, like, am I the problem? Mm-hmm. What's wrong with me? And so that was the start for me of my journey with therapy was that question. And and then, yeah, it was a bit over a year later where I was able to say, like, I think maybe there could be space for me. Yeah. Like maybe things can change. Yeah. Aspects of my life can change, mm-hmm. like your work. Yeah. Yeah. To find that freedom to, to I mean, I was still scared yeah. to leave this ministry job that – was so highly valued in my community Mm. and I definitely was like what if this is the beginning of the end and I just like (laughs) you know well and it's not just it wasn't just your job too. like no we haven't touched on your family of origin and kind of faith Mm -hmm. throughout childhood and that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff but it it had always been yeah part of your life so so at this point of questioning it's not just work but it's also like well wait a second the faith of my childhood led me to this but and yeah. was part of the decision to take on this job. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I grew up very much involved in church. I mm-hmm. grew up, I was telling someone recently, I grew up Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday evening, church, basically through my childhood. And then Wednesday evening became Friday night youth group. Yep. And at some point our church stopped having Sunday evening services. So it was Sunday morning and Friday evening and maybe, you know, special events and everything. But I was I was super immersed in church culture and in community. It was a community for sure, mm-hmm. um, which actually then brings us to another thread of the deconstruction of my faith, which is had a lot to do with multiple experiences of seeing really deep dysfunction in Christian community and Christian leadership. And that started when I was in university. I I saw major church conflict in my church that I'd grown up in. Mm -hmm. And there was a deep divide in the church and people who taught me Sunday school and had been like huge kind of people I respected in my faith were in this major conflict that involved like people accosting the pastors in the grocery store and yelling at them. Like it was, it was awful. And I was like 18, 19 going like, don't we all love Jesus? Like what's happening here? Um, And then yeah, over the next five to six years, encountering space after space of real emotional unhealth and destructive choices and, and destructive behaviors by people in leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, so by the time I got to that, again, coming back then to when I was reading this book and started going for spiritual direction, mm-hmm. this was another piece was I had just left a church. I felt really sad about I'd, I'd When I'd moved to this city, I'd started going to a small church community church, loved it. Such a space of welcome, really involved in their neighborhood. And after about a year, I was dreading going to church on Sunday mornings. And Mm. I thought, what is going on with this? And as I sat with it, I realized I just had a deep sense that something was amiss with some of the leadership. And I, it connected to a previous experience that had happened in between where I was like, it's the same feeling that I had, Mm. that i there's something that's just not quite right here. Yeah, But I didn't want to just disappear because I think it's important not to just be like, peace out, church. I'm going to jump the ship and go somewhere cooler, right? So I sat down with one of the people in 
leadership who wasn't one of the pastors, but I sat down with one of the kind of elders or deacons of the community. And I said, listen, I am leaving the church because I have a deep sense that there's something amiss, but I don't have the capacity to walk through it Mm -hmm. because I was still, I, I was still sitting with some of the wounds from yeah, the like last. Yeah, grieving and Yeah, processing. and I just was like, I don't have the space to yeah. do this. I'm too, this is too much for me. And I said, I just get the sense that something isn't quite right. And I shared a couple of stories of what kind of, I was able to pinpoint like something didn't sit right in this conversation. And this just felt off to me. And they said, I can't tell you more right now, but you're right. Hmm. And I said, okay. And I left. And two months later, I found out, well, everyone found out that the pastor was having an affair with someone in the congregation. Mm. And I was so angry. And I remember thinking, is there such a thing as healthy church? Like, mm. are are there any places where there are people who are in leadership who are healthy, who are not com- causing destruction and damage? And that was really like, that for me was the question of, is there room for me in Christianity? I always came back to every time I asked myself and kind of did an internal check in, I always believe that God is real. I always believe that God is loving. That part has never been something that I've doubted, mm-hmm. but I just was like, how many times do I keep putting myself in spaces where I'm going to be disappointed and not mm-hmm. just disappointed, but like broken? Yeah. By, hurt and carry yeah. more burden and and, more and pain. see and see and see the collateral damage that's you know happening to others too yeah. and in a space where you're hoping for the opposite exactly so for me that was a really core question mm-hmm. that kind of spun into me doing my masters mm-hmm. was this question of like is it even possible and how does it happen So as you're experiencing and starting to carry and or even realize that you're carrying these burdens from from church and tough experiences there with leaders mm-hmm. and um, how did that how did that begin to impact your relationship with with God with Jesus personally I don't remember the exact order of this particular kind of church undoing and spiritual direction. I think I might have already been seeing my spiritual director at that point. And so for me, that was my safe space. Yeah. Where one of the questions she she still often asks me is, where is God for you in this? And being able to come back to that question has been so important because it doesn't bypass the kind of institutional reality of the church, but it cuts to the heart of things. Mm-hmm. And it helped me to look at where is God present in my life and what am I experiencing personally with God, which then helped frame the questions of my relationship to community or institutional church in a different way. Hmm. But my relationship with church as a thing that you go to on Sundays was really hard and has been hard off and on since then. Even when I was doing my master's, even now as I'm doing my PhD, I moved a little over a year ago and it took me almost eight months to find a community that I felt like I could show up here every week 
well and even right away it wasn't like I could show up here every week it was like I can show up here and then I might consider going back as opposed to showing up and being like well that, that was a disaster <laughs> yeah. um which I actually there's a couple of places I tried and I said that was a disaster and then I went back again anyway and then I was like no that was also a disaster <laughs> so so I still would say I have I feel very tender and vulnerable about my relationship with church at times and I'm not quick to trust mm. which I think is my right and is very understandable and I don't if anyone were to push me on that and say like oh you need to get over it or you need to just accept it or whatever I'd be like no, actually. Mm-hmm. I'm allowed to show up at a church questioning whether I can trust people here. Mm-hmm. And if I'm not allowed to show up at a church questioning whether I can trust people, then that is not a church I can show up at. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so that's, I guess, a bit about my relationship with church. <laughs> In terms of my relationship with God... Um, Have you kind of severed the two? Maybe not fully and completely, but it sounds right. like there's... More of a gap between <laughs> right. church and relationship with God, which for some people will be shocking <laughs> and like, well, you can't do the Christian thing that way. Yeah. For others, it's like, well, yeah, that's just spiritual living and yeah. spirituality. Um, it's interesting. I, I have a very different relationship between them, but I can't get away from the belief that being connected to a community who share my gratitude for Jesus and my desire to love God Hmm. is actually important to me and to that community and to the world in general. Mm -hmm. At the same time, I no longer think that any particular church or any broadly speaking church is really a shining example of who God is. Mm And I am not a bad Christian if I don't go to church for a few weeks, which, again, growing up in a church environment and a family environment where you miss church if you had a fever or if you were puking. <laughs> Otherwise, <laughs> those are the only you were at church. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and I don't know that my parents overtly said going to church makes you a good Christian, but that's what I internalized was that good Christians show up at church every week. Mm-hmm. Good Christians are involved in all these ways. And we I still, and yeah. And, yeah. And I, I think it's interesting because I still think some of that relationship is, some of that is true, but not in the way that I thought it mm-hmm. was. And it's not that showing up makes me a good Christian, but it's that understanding church as a community of people who need each other in some way and encounter God in each other. That's probably the difference is now I see that I encounter God not in singing songs exclusively or listening to a 45-minute sermon, which I can't do anymore. Anyway, even if I wanted to try, I encounter God in the people and I am called to look for God's presence in others and in myself. Hmm. And that changes the foundation of how I'm relating to the people mm-hmm. in the pews, mm-hmm. which then changes how I relate to the pews themselves or the building of the church or the institution of church. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I think I'd love to hear a little bit more about where where you're at now um, with faith. Like now that you've gone through this deconstruction and have experienced some major changes, um, 
yeah, where would you say you're at with with God, with Christianity, and and maybe the more practical side of how's life? <laughs> <laughs> Before I get to how's life, can I tell a story that popped into mind when you asked about like where do I where yeah. am I with God now? Yeah. So this is still a few years ago. This is when I was doing my master's. When I was doing my master's, I had the immense privilege of doing a placement in hospital chaplaincy. And part of that placement was, um, there was a course connected to it. Anyways, maybe this is irrelevant context. I was in a class setting where we were talking about death and dying. And we did an exercise in which we had five pieces of paper And we wrote down on the piece of paper things that were essential to being us or to our lives. Five things that were central to to us in our lives. And then my teacher came around and took two of those papers away from each of us. And she said, okay, you are starting to die and you've lost these things. Because when as you move towards death, which maybe people are now like, oh no, she's talking about death. But this is another thing that I talk about and I'm think is important to talk about but as you move towards death the losses are gradual Mm -hmm. often I mean sometimes death is very sudden but if you're if you're dying in a in a gradual way in a way of aging or illness there are there are gradual losses so she took away two pieces of paper and she said okay you've just lost these things how do you feel sit with that loss what are you feeling and then we went around and shared a bit and then she did again came through took another one how are you feeling now Came through, took another one. So now we only have one piece left. And one of my classmates said, you know, the thing that I have left is my faith. Is the one piece that she had left, her yeah. piece of paper said her faith. And she said, so I feel okay because I still have my faith. I've lost everything else, but, you know, I still have my faith. And when she said this, I had this moment of like, oh, shoot. I didn't write down my faith. <laughs> I didn't write down like relationship with Jesus or like anything like that. A like good Christian answer. Yeah. I was like, how did I not put that on my piece of paper? It's like, oh my gosh, am I mm. still a Christian? Mm. And, um, but then I just had this moment where I realized I no longer believe faith is something I can lose. Hmm. And that up until that point in my life or up until recently, because I couldn't tell you when exactly it had shifted, but this is when I noticed it had shifted, was I had always pictured myself as clinging to God and I have to hold on so tight because if I let go, I'm going to fall and I don't want to fall. And all of a sudden I realized that's not how I understand it anymore. Hmm. Now I understand it that like God's hands are holding me. You know, he's He's got the whole world in his hands, (laughs) but like quite literally, and I'm sitting in the palm of God's hand and I, the image I had was of me just totally collapsed. I wasn't holding on to anything. Mm -hmm. I wasn't even sitting up, Mm -hmm. you know, and thinking about this situation where if I were dying and I had lost all of these things that I had lost that were meaningful to me. And I, I don't even remember what it was that I had left, but pretty much everything I valued was gone. And I thought God's still holding me. Mm -hmm. and even when I can't hold on to God, God is still holding me, and that changed everything. That realization? Yeah, because I thought, maybe I won't be able to hold on to church. There had been a moment before this where I had arrived at church with someone, and they were involved in the service, so they went in early, and Mm -hmm. I said to them, I can't come in yet, Mm -hmm. and they said, that's okay, and I said, I actually don't know if I can come in at all, 
And I sat in the car and I remember thinking, if I'm never able to walk into church again, I think God's still going to love me. And so when I had that moment, I, I really felt it and I believed it. Um, I believed it for myself and I believed it for the people that I love the most. That there had up until that point been this fear of walking away from God, of letting go of God for myself, or what if this person does that, or what if that person does that, or, you know, and then I just, it was gone. Hmm. It was gone. And I finally feel like I realized that God is as big as I always said God is, you know, I talked my whole life about but God being good and God being big and God being sovereign and God, all of these things. But there was still underlying that all of this fear mm-hmm. that. But I have to hold up my end of the bargain. Exactly. Yeah. And I thought, no, I finally was like, no, God is so big and God is so loving that God knows I can't hold up my end of the bargain mm-hmm. and I'm never going to do it perfectly. And there's going to be times where I can't even can't even muster a finger to, you know, grasp onto anything. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. That's really beautiful. <laughs> and I can see, I think, just the, the comfort and the peace um, that comes with a belief that's so solid like that. Um, like it just gives you freedom to wonder and ask questions and let other people wonder and ask questions. Yeah. And go, what they, go through what they need to go through yeah and i i by no means has it been like oh ever since then i've just been on <laughs> cloud nine you yeah. know and like everything is amazing it hasn't been that way but it's given me the freedom to not be okay mm-hmm. in a way that i had never given myself that freedom before mm-hmm. and i had never really believed that god had given me that freedom mm-hmm. before and so it's been freeing to not be okay and then that also then has given me the freedom to give other people the freedom to not be okay Mm -hmm. because I don't have to be okay and you don't have to be okay Mm -hmm. and that's okay Mm -hmm. so that has really changed the dynamic of my interactions with myself but also with being with other people Mm -hmm. so uh I know a big part of your story Mm -hmm. um that you haven't uh talked about yet but just hinted at in saying that life hasn't been a walk in the park since (laughs) coming to this understanding of God and this experience with God. Um, But at the same time, I can see how, how critical having come to this realization must have been Mm -hmm. um, in light of what you've been going through over the past, is it two years, year? The last two years have been extremely hard. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting getting the chance to share this because it's helpful even for me to get to articulate this again and to remember. And I feel I feel really thankful for these moments and for this story because I couldn't talk about the last two years if I hadn't talked about all that's brought me there. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it, it helps me to feel I feel so much gentleness towards myself, towards my past self and towards my current self, which is something I've often struggled with. Mm-hmm. And so I do feel like right now I feel gentleness towards myself that I can be a bit vulnerable and that I don't have to be defensive. So I got married almost five years ago and my marriage ended this summer and that is never an easy story. No. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's the short, the short version. Um, I think 
life has a way of unfolding in ways that we can't anticipate or expect. And good thing I asked for Kleenex. Good thing. <laughs> um... And there are things we can't fix. And I used to think that my faith would protect me. I used to think God would protect me because I made right choices. And, or I thought I was making right choices. There were choices that were the things that you were supposed to do. Um... And when that falls apart, what do you do with that? And there aren't always right answers and there aren't always any answers. And there aren't always reasons that you can give people in ways that prove something prove God's goodness, prove my goodness, prove, prove love. And that's where for me, practical theology matters because if God isn't in this space with me, then like, what am I even what doing? What is the point? <laughs> and where is God for me in this space? And is God in this space or is God just outside this space of suffering looking? Or is God in this suffering somehow? And and what do you do when you have to make choices that no one else can make for you? And they're choices that you know are going to affect the rest of your life and the rest of other people's lives. And and is God waiting for you to just screw it all up? <laughs> I mean, for, no, that's not who God is. But But it really matters how we understand God. And it really matters what community is and what church is. And my community in the last two years has been a whole smorgasbord of people. And my church has been not a Sunday morning worship service. I mean, well, that I had to take a break from that for a while just because it was too painful to walk into a church again. But I've still encountered God. And I think I've encountered God in ways that I couldn't and wouldn't otherwise if I weren't in some of the hardest, saddest spaces thanks for sharing um that part i know uh, that was a big part of our conversation when we first met and talking about that that struggle with with god in the midst of suffering and how he relates and um yeah to see you be thinking about it and processing it in the midst <laughs> of suffering that a lot of people will never be able to relate to or understand. Um, and to see you do it with um, such humility and, and grace and and growth um, is a pretty phenomenal example uh, to me and uh, I think to our listeners too. So, I hate the idea of being an example. <laughs> I take that back then. Because... <laughs> Um, in part because I think then I start feeling like I need to make choices mm -hmm. because people are watching. Mm. And for me, the question I keep coming back to is what does it mean to walk in love? And how do I love this person well? 
and that this person can really vary from situation to situation. Mm -hmm. But I've really had to ask myself, how do I love myself well? And also, how do I love someone well that my relationship with is fundamentally broken? Mm -hmm. It's interesting because, I mean, I'm not getting into all the details. It's like there's so many factors, and I have this desire and this compulsion to tell the whole story so people know the whole thing and so people know so people don't make up their own stories Hmm. and particularly I'm protective of myself but also the person I married is someone I loved dearly and I love dearly and I have a huge desire to control the narratives that people have about me Hmm. and about them and I have to release that control because I can't and I, but at the same time, like I'm fumbling my way through the dark, but I'm doing my best. And I don't say that, I don't know. It's just like, there's such a hard tension there between, I don't want people to look at me and say, wow. <laughs> but I also want people to know we can find God and we can encounter God and we can be present to each other in ways that are incredible. Hmm. And I'm so thankful for the people who have made that space for me. And I want to help make that space for others, but not in a way that in any way puts me on like a, mm-hmm. an expert level. Mm-hmm. Because it's a hard place that I'm in and mm-hmm. I wouldn't wish it on anyone. Yeah. Well, I think the, yeah, the hope that we have for this podcast is that it would create that kind of space. And I think by... Yeah, by sharing raw, real stories like this, it. my hope is that it gives people the freedom to ask those questions and mm-hmm. journey through this and not feel stuck like you had felt at mm-hmm. one point, um, or kind of hopeless or like I don't fit. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and feel the freedom to to move out of that spot and discover maybe new things about mm-hmm. about God, about... Which is why I want to tell my story and why I wanted to be a part of this conversation, because that's really important to me too. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I love that I get to be a part of these conversations. It is a real honor. And I love, I think when I, when we went for coffee, I was Mm -hmm. like, I could have these conversations all day. Like, (laughs) I love talking to people who are asking questions and who are angry and who are sad because I... Yeah, because like you said, I didn't have that space. Mm-hmm. And to have someone say like, welcome. <laughs> welcome, come and tell your story with, to yeah, the world. Or like, whoever will Yeah, or like, <laughs> tell your story to me. Yeah, yeah. Tell your story to me. Yeah. And I'll hear you. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to pretend. I think and that... how valuable that is. It's a gift. It's yeah. such a gift. Yeah. And I've needed it and I want to give it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's why I'm here. <laughs> So you can find Beth on Instagram. And <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no. Well, well, yes, you can. can. <laughs> Thanks so much for coming and sharing your story. Um, and yeah, I, I think it will give space um, in the ways that you hope. Um, and I'm excited to maybe over the years hear stories about it. Thank you. Mm.
today we covered a topic that might have brought up some questions, memories, or thoughts that you may want to talk about with someone. But maybe you don't have someone that you could trust with this. We get that. The Life Project has online mentors ready to support you as you ask tough questions. They are there to listen and support you as you try to make sense of life and what it all means to you. Have a question about faith? Online mentors are also there to support you as you grow in your understanding of what Christianity is all about and in your personal relationship with Jesus. In all of these conversations, your information will be kept confidential. You can share as much or as little as you would like with your mentor. To connect with a mentor, go to p2c.sh slash talk to someone. That's p2c.sh slash talk to someone or click the Have a Question button on the podcast page. You don't have to journey alone. Let's approach it together. This is the part of the podcast where we talk about what we've heard and how it's landed on us and questions that we might have or the ways that we related to it. And as always, my friends Laura and Caroline are here to join me. Laura is our audio tech. Laura, how are you today? I'm doing very well. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. And Caroline is our producer. Hello, hey hello. How are you? I'm slightly sick. Oh. It's okay. Okay. And also joining us is our holla, holla. boss. Wow, you just boss. jumped the gun on that. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm excited to be part of the we today. She said, we, where we, and I, you know, I don't always get to be in the we. We still doesn't have a name. What is your name? I'm working on it. Oh. Eric. (laughs) Yes, I am Eric. This is Eric. And Eric and Caroline actually host another podcast with Power to Change called Undiscussed. The Extended Universe. (laughs) (laughs) The podcast universe that we are a part of. That's right. Uh, And on Undiscussed, they tackle topics that often go undiscussed by Christians for the most part. And they interview lots of people and learn a lot and engage with a lot of different topics. Um, Eric's sitting in with us on this um, time of reflection because he was actually there with us um, when we heard from Beth. Uh, Not only that, he actually knew Beth um, back when she was on staff. Yeah, I'm I'm very excited to be part of this processing time because I've known Beth for about 15 years. And have, you know, got to see a bit of the deconstruction happening live. And uh, she's great. She's one of my favorite people. So I'm just honored to be here. And I was honored to be a part of her telling her story. Awesome. Yeah, she um, she's very articulate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think it got highlighted. I feel like I have to say, mm-hmm. <laughs> It got highlighted while we were there that um, it's really clear that she's taken the time to process and think through what's happened and is well on her way into healing and recovering and making sense of what she's gone through, um, which I think you could really see in one, how articulate she was, but two, also how honest she was and open she was about kind of all of it, <laughs> every every part of it. So I really appreciated that and just the way that she kind of let us in on what could be a very private thing for her. And I think at times has been, um, but now is at a place where she is willing to talk about it and share. 
Something that I noticed while Beth was uh, speaking is there's kind of two parts. There's the deconstruction and trying to figure out how does my faith work in different ways as I as I'm growing as a person as different things are important to me. Yeah, I think for a lot of people that I know, or maybe they're just the stories that you hear more. Um, often when someone goes through that kind of hurt or pain in a community, and we've even heard it here on, on this podcast, it's led to them walking away. Um, or really at the very least, very much questioning what they thought or were sure about God, um, before. But what I loved hearing with Beth was actually about that retreat that she, she talked about it a lot, just taking that time away from others, away from church, away from any other inputs and just took that time to think and try to hear from God. And instead of like a knee-jerk reaction of just, I'm out, it was, there There was a sense of hope that maybe there is still something here. Like there was something that she still found within it or maybe something she had once experienced she didn't go into too much detail about that but it's clear that she had some kind of hope that okay I'm not going to run quite yet I want to take the time to see is there something else here is have I only seen a piece of of what could be in in a relationship with God yeah I really liked Beth's imagery that she used throughout the whole interview even the idea of how yeah how God you know, her understanding of it was she thought it was just clinging on for dear life. And I think that was a lot of, even in my story of how I understood God was, I just need to do this and that and really just hold on for dear life and hope that he still cares about me. But the real understanding is that he is like firmly holding us and we're just kind of laying there doing nothing, completely exasperated, exhausted and what beautiful imagery that was to hear. And I even want to just go back and listen to this interview again and just reflect and kind of pray about it and just allow myself to understand and be in that space again because it was so good to be in that room and hearing her thoughts on it and how at peace and how healed and continuing to heal she is. That totally crystallizes like truths that I probably knew, but the language she used was so beautiful. Like I... I've been like sharing it with other people and in uh, lots of other different settings. And and I I said it twice already, but here's the third time. I was just honored to be a part of that because uh, hearing that like deeply affected me and uh, it's very beautiful. And so thank you, Beth, if you're listening to this uh, for, <laughs> uh, for that imagery, because that's that's really going to shape a lot of uh, what I picture. And I think just viewing it in that way or having that understanding of God um, and a relationship with God provides so much freedom for healing and for change. And I think you really see that in her and in her her story where it's not this like... I got to pull it together. I just got to make this work. I just got to keep keep trucking or whatever. It gives the space to actually say, no, I just need to be taken care of right now. And that's, that's good. Um, that's good for me personally. And it's in my own healing, but it's also good for my relationship with God to, to lean on him or to enjoy those things 
in my relationship with him. I think one thing that stuck with me was her talking about a spiritual director and her talking about having someone in her life who essentially acts as a therapist, like has no real connection to um, her and uh, the friends and the people she's talking about. She's completely removed and yet has that trust built up that she can walk with her and that she can be honest, vulnerable, feel safe with this person. And that this person um, somehow, can't really understand how at this point in my life, has the capacity to do that for so many people and to be there and to walk with them and to um, yeah, just trust um, and pray for them consistently. I think I was so touched when she had mentioned that the only person that had prayed for her that consistently was her grandfather um, and this spiritual director. And I think that's just so beautiful to see how we can actually come alongside one another in our wrestling. Um, and it's just as simple as being patient and consistent and just showing up, mm-hmm. just being there to walk with them. Mm-hmm. I really want a spiritual director now. So funny thing, I'm actually meeting with one. <laughs> Are you actually? Yeah, on Thursday, because after that interview, uh, especially when she just highlighted the difference um, between like a disciple or mentor and a spiritual director, like the idea that their role or that relationship is all about kind of them peering in and helping you see what Holding God space. is doing. Yeah. But less so about like instructing you or teaching you. It's just like they kind of come in and observe what God is doing or what he's not doing and gives you the space to do that with them. That just, for me, as soon as she said it, I was like, that's what I need. (laughs) I need someone to do that for me. So I did what she did. I Googled spiritual directors in Guelph because that's what she said (laughs) she did. And I'm meeting with one on on Thursday to check it out. It's a lovely experience. I have, I don't see one regularly, but uh, my pastor, his dad, uh, who is like a leader in our region, in our denomination, uh, is a spiritual director. And they, he and his wife actually uh, have a training program to like certify people in spiritual direction. Yeah. And um, one of the most life-changing experiences is the one session which tells me I should probably go yeah, back. Yeah, maybe you should do it again. <laughs> <laughs> but I was on it. I was back on, on re- Google. <laughs> <laughs> I was They're on there. a retreat, and uh, they they offered uh, like a session, a chance to meet with someone. Yeah. And and like he asked one question. It was a, it was like a forty five minute like experience. And like he asked one question and it was like the most profound thing. <laughs> it's like. What was that question? No, you don't you get don't, to know. Oh, dang it. I, I need to go to know. a spiritual director now. There you go. I need yeah. to find out that one question. Yeah. It was just hearing from her that different approach um, to, I don't know, specifically the recognizing, like helping you take time to recognize how God is at work. Because I've been so angry that. And like hurt with God that every time I try to do it, I just get more pissed off. So I'm like, well, maybe having someone else there I think will be helpful. <laughs> I think I also end up in a position where I don't want to trust anyone who is like an old fart in my mind. 
<laughs> I don't know. What do you mean by old fart? Now, now I'm so, scared that I'm an old fart. You might you fall be. into that category. <laughs> um, you won't tell us your question. We won't tell you if you're an old fart. <laughs> I think it might just be something of the times that we are living in. But I know for me, I'm more quick to go to a friend to talk about something than someone that is older than me. And I know it took a lot when I was younger to trust my mom with the things that I was going through. And she gave me no reason not to trust her. It was just, I felt like she was too removed. She didn't know what I was going through. She wouldn't be able to see it through my eyes. And that like, I think encompasses so many people that are, I view as older than me, that they're like, oh, they didn't grow up with internet. They don't know the struggle of social media. Like they don't know what bullying is. And that's not true. Um, My son, when I try to, speak into his life he's like dad you used to hang up phones that's <laughs> you can't that's talk great. to me about this you used to hang up phones that's his big diss of me that i'm so old that i hung up phones like actually the receiver onto the cradle and so, so I, like i and i think that that's just really telling and it's taken a <laughs> lot you're an old fart <laughs> yeah no wonder like of, no more of Eric. The kids of it's telling of the kids <laughs> that are growing up like the next generation that is coming up under yeah. us that there is this distrust in the generation before us when like god actually calls us to like in all walks of life in all stages of life that we are community together and there's there's nuggets of wisdom from anyone. Um, and I never really even considered spiritual, spiritual direction before this because I was like, I'm not going to go to an old person. No. <laughs> That's funny. Um, Thinking back to uh, what we were talking about just a minute ago about Beth's picture, there's a worship song that our church um, is singing a lot right now, uh, King of My Heart. And there's a bridge. I love that song where it's when the night is holding on to me, God is holding on and it like Beth's image coupled with that lyric has been really powerful. We were singing it on Sunday. And uh, this week the sermon uh, was talking about kind of the juxtaposition between darkness and light and how we as followers of Jesus often focus on the light, but God is not the God of light and there's some other God of darkness, like God is the God of both and so we don't need to fear the dark and we don't need to fear that moment. And so the lyric in the song, when, when the night or when the darkness is holding on to me, God is holding on. It's just, it was really beautiful. And, uh, I think that's been, um, something that's profound that's just been growing in realization for me. And, uh, I think it's, it's beautiful to, to be like you were saying, Laura, it's beautiful to be in community with old farts and with young <laughs> farts and, and so on. That's not a thing, no. I know. Um, because, you know, we, as we rub shoulders and talk about faith and, and we can add to each other and, and uh, I think that's really beautiful. 
Yeah, it's actually funny that you bring that song up because we played that song at our wedding in a time when our faith was very much all over the place. And even just understanding the artist's story, John Mark McMillan, um, an incredible guy, and him and his wife, they sing that. And they even were the ones who uh, did that David Crowder song, which totally escapes my brain right now. But their story of faith is not an easy road. And I think sometimes growing up in the church, you can kind of get this understanding of who God is and what Christianity is and the fact that we need to hold on tightly when in fact, you know, God is the one who's actually holding on to us. We are totally awful, terrible, all sorts of people. And uh, we can't even hold on most of the time at all. But I think there's a a, a fun balance between the two mm-hmm. that we are called to hold on to our faith of our youth. Like we are called to cling to the truth. And yet our clinging like our physical action of holding on it's a pinky (laughs) it's like a child like holding on to their parent you know the child's not holding on like if the parent lets go the child is falling right the parent is doing all the work there um but i don't know if that illustration works but um but we partner we partner in it in our faith yeah 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 i think there's points in our story where we're really eager to hang on and we're loving hanging on. And then there's other points where it's the the need to just be held and taken care of in that way. Uh, and it, yeah, it's different at different points in, in our walks with God. Um, yeah, the last thing I think I want to highlight with Beth's story was, um, again, that hopefulness that she had that maybe I don't have to walk away from this completely. Um, something she told me or she said to me in our uh, first conversation um, was how in a lot of ways we kind of get pigeonholed a little bit into our first experience with Christianity or a relationship with God. Um, and we think that that's it or that that's the full picture. And then life happens <laughs> and we question that. Um And I think for Beth, she realized like, oh, I actually, like if we're looking at the whole picture of Christianity, all I knew was this one little sliver. And now because of my life experience, I've stepped out of that and I'm seeing, oh, there's actually far more here to know, to enjoy, to discover. Um, And I think that for me, that was a really big invitation um, to keep not fighting, but to keep learning and asking questions and discovering what else is there in this relationship that I have with God. Cause I'm, cause I also have that hopefulness. Like, I think it's there. I, I don't, I'm not willing to believe that it's not there, but I'm just struggling to find it right now. And I think that's what this, this podcast is about is the willingness to ask those questions and see, is there something else there? Uh, thanks guys for, for joining me. Um, and of course we thank Beth for, for sharing her story with us and for the chance to relate and learn and be inspired by, by her story. See you next time. 